This episode of She Does is brought to you by Fun Home. This year's Tony Award-winning Best Musical based on the best-selling graphic memoir by Alison Bechtel. The Associated Press calls this groundbreaking production the best of what Broadway can do. Get tickets at funhomebroadway.com. This episode is also brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter offer code SHEDOES at checkout to get 10% off. We're also brought to you by Roll Tape. Share stories and stay close to friends and family with Roll Tape, a new mobile app for audio messages available for iPhones and iPads. Download Roll Tape for free from the App Store now to rekindle authentic conversations with the people you care about most. I think that there are certain scars that you have, you know, as you grow up from different things. And then maybe they're so buried. But it was it was in there somewhere, hidden, and then it wants to come out, wants to come out, and it came out as this film. So it was my way of dealing with whatever I was dealing as a child in Cyprus through evaporating words, even though it's not about me. Welcome to She Does Podcast. I'm Elaine Sheldon. And I'm Sarah Ginsberg. And today, our guest is... Eva Radivojevic, and I am a filmmaker. I've known Eva since 2013, but it wasn't until recently I actually learned how to say her name. It's kind of embarrassing to admit. Sorry, I'm trying to... I had I had Eva send me a message of how to pronounce her last name, so I'm going to play it real quick. Radivojevic. 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 <laughs> it's complicated and rather intimidating, but say it with me. Rad e vitch See? Doesn't that feel good? Eva's used to most people slaughtering or avoiding saying her name altogether. I kind of like hearing how people pronounce it, and it makes me laugh. So, Give mm-hmm. us some examples of how people have pronounced it. Radivojevic, something. you know, they just kind of like muffle it after all. They so. give up after the first three letters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's okay. <laughs> Are you cool with just Eva Rad when people can't say it? Eva Rad is best. I shortened it before I even knew what Rad means. So it's not, it's not uh, uh, you know, uh, a purposefully done thing, so, you know. But it works, because Eva is pretty rad, and so is her work. Her films have screened at South by Southwest, New York Film Festival, Human Rights Watch Film Festival, Rotterdam International Film Festival, Hot Docs, MoMA, PBS, The Documentary Channel, as well as the New York Times Opdocs. Eva is the recipient of the 2015 Guggenheim Fellowship, 2012 Princess Grace Special Project Award, and was named one of 25 new faces of independent film of 2013 by Filmmaker Magazine. Her debut feature-length documentary, Evaporating Borders, received awards worldwide. In an episode 26 with Charlotte Cook, we mentioned Eva's short film, Notes from the Border, which was commissioned for the launch of Field Vision and documented the refugee crisis. But even though Eva has covered newsworthy topics, she doesn't view her work as journalism. Her work is driven by personal experience and poetry. I enjoy when people see the work as journalistic. I mean, I don't, I don't, I think that if I can have another aspect of myself, that's great. But at the same time, um, I, I don't like to be pinpointed as that specific thing. Poetry speaks volumes and it digs, sort of penetrates much deeper than if I was to do something in a purely journalistic way and just disseminate information. And I was having a conversation with a friend <laughs> talking about the difference between the son of Saul and the reverend. <laughs> the reverend, which sort of like very, in a very Hollywood manner, in your face, 
um, shows you the violence and shows you the exaggeration and all that stuff, whereas Son of Saul is very subdued. It all happens in the background. And because it happens in the background, it's even more intense and it's even more sort of, you know, you're affected even deeper. So I feel like that's the same way for me where I I don't want to throw stuff in your face or, or bang you over the head with information or something like that. In addition to her personal work, Eva is known as an editor on both documentary and fiction work. In the past, she co-edited Keith Miller's film, Five Star. The film won Best Editing Narrative Feature at Tribeca Film Festival in 2014. In 2015, Eva edited Ma, Celia Rousen Hall's modern-day vision of Mother Mary's pilgrimage, as well as another recent short film directed by Celia called Looking Glass. Eva is currently editing Martin DeChico's latest documentary, The Silk Railroad. These directors choose to work with Eva because of her specific style and approach to the medium. And Eva enjoys the role of an editor, where she can take a backseat from directing, pay the bills, and work alongside other artists with strong visions. I've been lucky in the recent years that I am able to pick up projects that I really like or believe in, because I also realized that if I don't like them or I don't believe in them, I will not do a good job. It will be terrible. It will be torture trying to finish. The best thing about it is that it becomes almost like a therapeutic session, trying to understand what the director wants or they want to communicate and in what way. Because it's very frequent that we can't articulate what we want. But so when the control is taken away from me and I'm there as a supporter or I'm in a supporting role, it's a beautiful thing. It's really a beautiful thing. And then you can sort of just uh, throw a little thing this way, you know, a little salt or a little, I don't know, seasoning and, and suggest things. And when it sits with the director or when the visions match or ideas match, it's the most, it's the most rewarding thing. It's beautiful because you, you're co-creating it. Eva was born in Yugoslavia, a country that no longer exists. In 1992, the Republic of Bosnia and Herzegovina declared its independence from Yugoslavia. Civil war erupted between Bosnian Serbs who wanted to remain part of Yugoslavia and the Republic's Croats and Muslims. Serb separatists mounted In June of 1992, when the war started, Eva, her sister, and Croatian mother fled to Cyprus. Her Serbian father stayed behind in Belgrade. Eva was only 12 at the time and was raised by her single mother and older sister in Cyprus. It was a bit of a challenge because you go, you don't speak the language, you don't have any friends, you don't have any family, right? So, um, yeah, I remember it. <laughs> I remember it because I, I actually I was speaking to my grandma, I made a short film not too long ago. She asked me if I was sad when I was growing up there and she said that I said to her, I answered, I cried a lot but never for anybody to see. And it's really weird because I have no recollection of that, and yet she remembered it. So I must have somehow, some I don't know, buried it or dealt with it, whatever. But I guess it was, yeah, it was more of a traumatic move than I ever remember. Especially if I feel children deal with things much better than adults. Like you adapt very easily, you know, you make friends and then you sort of just go, okay, that's the situation. And that's what I feel like, you maybe bury things somehow, you know, and just get through it. But I feel like all those things kind of make you or mold you into what you are later. And I, I have, I wouldn't have changed anything. I really liked how things progressed. 
Do you think there's like a part of your personality that you really think was influenced by that? Yeah, I think that uh, at this point I am maybe too much, like on the extreme, independent. Like I, I really like being alone. <laughs> I'm a bit of a yeah, loner and I like traveling alone. I, I'm by myself here, but I just, I, I, I like it. I, I don't know. It makes it hard for relationships. Eva left her family in Cyprus and moved to New York City. She was 18. She studied illustration and animation at the Fashion Institute of Technology. And I enjoyed it very much, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. I found animation, even though I appreciate it and love it, but it wasn't what I personally could do. It was a little bit tedious for me. I couldn't express myself through it. Nothing would come out. Like I couldn't project what I was feeling or thinking and express it through painting or illustration. And when I found film, it was like home, like, wow. And it was so easy to just... Maybe it also has to do with age or what you can express at certain points. I'm not sure. But I think maybe at some point I would really like to go back to illustration and painting and see what... Maybe that's later on in life. I'm not sure. But it took me a really long time to come to film. I feel that they both have meditative components, but in different ways. Like, I feel that if I'm painting or drawing, there's a certain s- sort of zoning out the zoning in that you have to do and you're almost like taken over by whatever it is you're doing but it's kind of similar like when you're shooting and you know you have I use like a z finder and I disappear behind the lens and then it's like the whole world becomes and everything slows down and you're in it you know and there's no better feeling I feel like really you're, you're entering a different a different state when Eva graduated with her BFA she lost her student visa so she had to figure out a way to stay in the United States. She started to learn how to edit film and got a job in the graphics department of ABC. Every so often, she would take time off to travel, documenting the places she wandered and people she met through photographs. Then she decided to buy a video camera, a Canon 5D, and continued to document through film. In order to actually do something with all the content she was collecting, Eva challenged herself to make a film every week. She called the series Eva Asks and made a website to house it all. She didn't promote the series at first, and virtually no one knew about Eva Asks for quite some time. But she pretended she had an audience, holding her accountable. And eventually, because of her dedication, an audience started to accumulate. Every week, she introduced this audience to new people in places all around the world, from New Orleans, Joshua Tree in Vegas, to Germany, Palestine, and Serbia. She takes us to public and private places, beaches and people's living rooms allowing us to hear big and small stories. In Amsterdam's red light district, we meet a Hungarian woman named Anita. I don't like to standing in the window for 100 euro, you know? It Mm. seems like nothing. If I cannot make more than 100 euro for myself, I go back home. We experience the New Orleans streets buzzing at night as pre-parties and parades begin for Mardi Gras. She also takes us to Serbia and introduces us to Malena, who runs a restaurant. Eva was learning and making mistakes in public, learning how to make films, having issues with audio quality, and being open to criticism and growth. 
but the series really got some traction when she started turning her lens towards Occupy Wall Street. These pieces went viral. Uh, it's the process of educating people and educating the world, really, that we have to be first and foremost altruistic and care for the collective. The Eva Ask collection is made up of over 50 short films. Eva's work is poetic and personal. It's never stale or generic. Every Eva Asks film is shot in a new way. Sometimes you hear Eva's voice as a narrator. Sometimes as an interview. Other times, ambient sounds guide the narrative. Eva used all her tools in different ways. Language, sound, visuals, and poetry. Because I feel like, uh, with me, anyway, it's, it's something needs to come out. Something wants to be expressed, and, and I just need to do it, you know? And yeah, I feel like the, the most rewarding and free and sort of experimental stuff, next, not experimental in the sense that it's experimental film, but more that I was experimenting more, was when I was doing those Eva Asks and I wasn't at all concerned about where it needs to go, who needs to see it. It was just making, making, creating, creating, creating. I feel it just comes out in different ways at different times, and it depends what it is. I really love poetry. I really love the written word, and I like how that uh, matches up or doesn't match up with images and how they can dance together or how they can, you know, uh, repel each other or whatever. And then also when it comes to languages, each language has its own texture and, and melody, and then how that plays along with the images. Και ο ήλιος έκαιγε. Μια τέτοια μέρα, μόνη επιθυμία, είναι ένα καταφύγιο. Μια δόση ίσκιου. And like, I just, to me, poetry just speaks much louder than, I don't know, if I've tried to make an advocacy film or something like that. I'm not saying that I think that they're important and people should do them. It's just, it doesn't come out of me. So we, through this experimentation with Eva Asks, um, different things come up. And that's why I feel like it was so beautiful and so rewarding because I could, because nobody's watching, because I'm just freely out there creating, different things pop up. And then you realize what, in which way you like to express yourself and what's more true to who I am, you know? Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Support for She Does comes from the groundbreaking Broadway musical Fun Home, winner of five 2015 Tony Awards, including Best Musical, Best Original Score, Best Book, Best Director, and Best Actor. We have uh, two tickets, one under Elaine Sheldon and one under Sarah Ginsburg. It's based on Alison Bechtel's acclaimed graphic memoir and tells a refreshingly honest story of coming out as a teenager, revisiting the past, and seeing your parents through grown-up eyes. You're going to go to aisle one, over that way. Aisle one. Elena and I went and saw Fun Home, and as you'll hear, we were rendered speechless. <laughs> Thankfully, we were joined by a few of our She Does listeners, and they had a few things to say. Hi, I'm Sean. This is my second time seeing it, and uh, both times changing my major, just I was a mess after Changing My Major is a song sung by the protagonist, Allison, as she's first figuring out she's a lesbian after a night spent in her dorm room bed with Joan. I've seen so many shows that tackle 
the same subject matters, but they do it in a very like dramatic everything's and I was like that wasn't how it was for me like I was happy I figured out who I was and seeing that in a show is just the f I remember the first time I saw it I was like somebody wrote a song about the moment I figured it out and that someone the person who wrote changing my major is Lisa Crone you know I wanted to have that feeling of like that pent-up passion and then the awkwardness of it I was just like this is a comedy gold mine people we just have to use this Tune in to She Does on April 6th for an exclusive episode with Lisa, Fun Home's Tony-winning writer and lyricist. And get tickets to see this revolutionary show at funhomebroadway.com. This episode is also sponsored by Roll Tape. Do you have family who live far away, friends you've lost touch with? Reconnect with your favorite people on Roll Tape, a new mobile app for audio messages available for iPhones and iPads. Have a conversation with your loved ones on your own time. You can even personalize your messages with music and a photo. Roll Tape has the intimacy of a phone call, the convenience of a text, and the emotion of a mixtape. Share stories and stay close. Download Roll Tape for free from the App Store now to reignite your relationships. This episode is also sponsored by Squarespace. And thank goodness for Squarespace, a service that honestly, we'd be nowhere without. We've been told multiple times that our website, which holds all of our content and artwork, is really something beautiful. The funny thing is, it was probably one of the easiest things to build. So much of our time is spent focusing on these episodes. You're welcome. But that leaves us very little time to give to the website. Thankfully, Squarespace offers intuitive and easy-to-use tools that allow us to look like we're professional website designers. And there's a cherry on top. When you sign up, you can get a free domain name for a whole year. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com. And make sure that when you sign up, you use offer code SHEDOES to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. All right, let's get back to Eva. So Eva made all these shorts, got attention, found her style and voice, and people took notice. She got put on the Filmmaker Magazine's 25 New Faces of Independent Film list, which is when I first met her. And then she decided to jump into a feature film. At the time she started working on the idea, she was doing her MFA at Hunter College. And I was thinking about this subject matter. That subject matter being migration, tolerance, identity, and belonging, especially through the experience of asylum seekers in Cyprus. As I was growing up in Cyprus, you know, I had a certain experience. Um, and then when I was going back to visit my family, it was the same thing with these new people coming from Middle East. And it was so shocking to me that my friends, who were also in the LGBT community and so on, were responding to this, these new immigrants in the same way, in other words, rejecting them. And all this like anger researched, you know, because whatever, I related to my experience, but I didn't want to talk about my experience, I want to talk about the experience. And so I feel like it's just something like, it's one of those things again, that it's just in your stomach, you need to get it out. And if you don't get it out, you know, you'll get sick. 
I really feel that after making the film, besides everything else that's happened and how it's influenced different things in my work, I feel like it has, I've grown as a person through it, just as in a personal way, nothing to do with, you know, filmmaking and so on. This goes back to this childhood thing that we talked about, this crying. I think that there are certain scars that you have, you know, as you grow up from different things. And then maybe they're so buried. Like I said, my grandma said this and I couldn't remember. But it was it was in there somewhere, hidden. And then it wants to come out, wants to come out. And it came out as this film. So it was my way of dealing with whatever I was dealing as a child in Cyprus through evaporating borders, even though it's not about me. Digo più notia, sederito avusto, mia valca taxidevi tesseres antes, mia gineca, che dio pedia, abutinsiuiast in voia actitis kipro. Cana zenepesise. Εκτός από τους αθέμπους, οι οποίοι συνελφθήκαν μόλις φτάσανε ασφαλείς. In the film, we get a sense of Cyprus and the people there, a PLO activist in exile from Iraq who was denied asylum, neo-Nazi fundamentalists fighting against Muslim migrants, activists and academics who organize an anti-fascist rally and clash with the neo-Nazis. Evaporating Borders had its U.S. premiere in 2014 at South by Southwest and screened at Hot Docs, Rotterdam, among other fests, and won the Balkan Documentary Competition at DocuFest and Best Feature at Chicago Underground Film Festival. The way I approached the whole film was that I would just go out and investigate and I would meet the people along the way and and find things out. And as I was shooting, it was very intuitive, but then I would also write things as they happened. Sometimes I didn't have my camera or sometimes I couldn't pull out the camera. And so the writing and the um, image taking took, like it was uh, simultaneous. And then I, I uh, wrote it as a letter to a friend. Yeah, I, I wanted it to be... Um, again, just clear who I am and why I'm talking about this and in what way. And then the viewer can uh, choose whether they want to agree with me or disagree with me. So I'm not giving them an absolute truth, but a version of truth as, you know, per where I'm standing. From this letter to a friend, I, I it became an essay and then I sort of collaged images to it. You know, have people ever said, no, I don't want you to film in the past, and how do you respond to that? Yeah, I think if somebody, there's always somebody who doesn't want to be in camera, and maybe they want to give you their voice, but they want to, they don't want to give you their image or their face or whatever, and that's totally fine, and and you have to respect that. I mean, just being sensitive to people, I think that's the, you know, and that's a learning experience too. We, we sometimes want to be sensitive, but are not, and so I feel like each time there's a new lesson to be learned, so... For me, I feel like the most important and the most rewarding thing about documentary is that I form relationship with people, you know, and that's number one. Like, I want to know about you and wanna, I want us to be friends. Uh, I know that's not what most people do. Some people really like to keep a distance with their uh, with the people that they're filming. Uh, and that's, that's just not me. I, I'm so much more interested in human beings than I am in, in taking something out of their story and documenting it. I, I was reading like a description of the film and 
for I think a college screened it or something and it said like Yugoslavia a place which no longer exists and I, like that kind of struck me because that I mean you identify I mean I feel like there was such a uh, like connection to home that people like to think about often do you feel a sadness that like like half of your home you know you adopted Cyprus but like 12 is old you know like you're pretty mm-hmm. aware yeah do you feel like a little bit of a little lost sometimes or like is, is this kind of like cathartic to make this type of work because you're trying to figure out like what your own home is yeah, yeah absolutely i feel like of almost every film that i do has some kind of a, a seed of belonging or a commentary on belonging and so the country ceased to exist and especially you know you leave with a, a passport that says you're yugoslavian and then you're sort of I don't know, now I'm Serbia, now I'm Croatian, now I'm living in Cyprus, now I'm in the U.S. for so long. But I think the most important thing is that you don't feel like you have a root. There is a sense of of where do I belong, like where am I supposed to dock myself, right? But then something miraculous happened last year, which is I started going back uh, more often to Serbia and Croatia and Cyprus, and I realized that there is something really powerful about language that connects you to a place so when i would travel through serbia croatia bosnia macedonia which all have the same language i felt a certain belonging in all these places and i sort of felt something that i had thought i had lost and then i also feel the same thing when i go to cyprus or greece because i speak greek and i feel a a, a belonging there too and of course when you you know speak english in different places so i feel Now I want to learn Spanish because now I can really belong to many places. We asked Eva to give us one piece of advice to pass on to first-time filmmakers. Her piece of advice is to make the film you want to make. Because along the way, you can sort of sway and think that something should be a certain way or the audience will not understand it or whatever. And I'm not saying I think this, uh, you know, the message should be communicated clearly, but not to take away from your own personal vision or style or whatever it is. I think that's the biggest um, danger. And I think I did that a little bit in Evaporating Borders. And every time I watch it, I cringe at certain points because of that, you know. Eva is now working on her next feature. So it's inspired by Jorge Luis Borges, his short story called Aleph. It's not based on it, it's inspired. And it sort of develops as a, as a quest through a labyrinth of 10 countries in which we meet different characters. And each character leads us to the next location, the next uh, person. And by the end of the... The search, we find Aleph. And Aleph in Borges' story is this point in space and time that contains a lot of points in space and time, or sort of a center point. So the whole film is basically talking about what we center our lives around. And we're going to start in Argentina, and from there, we don't know where we go because we will be directed by the person that we meet in Argentina. One thing I admire about Eva is her calm and collected demeanor. She really is one of the most pleasant and peaceful people I've ever been around. So we wanted to know what she does on a daily basis to hold it all together. I don't know. There are certain things that I, I do 
to keep myself sane, whether it's writing in the morning, I write every morning, or meditating, or uh, exercising, like uh, bike riding, swimming. I love my bike. I try to keep myself positive and happy because I feel like unless I'm positive and happy, I cannot be helpful to other people at all because I can't be helpful to myself. And so from that place, I, I feel like I navigate the world much better. And so when I'm filming, it's kind of the same. How I approach people, how I talk to them, how they talk to me, how I listen to them, you know? Because I have to be, you have to be patient, you have to be all these different things. I'm happiest when I'm being creative and or when I'm being helpful, when I'm being useful, of use to somebody. Whether that's, you know, cooking somebody a meal or whether it's helping somebody with a cut or whether it's, you know, opening a door from somebody, a pregnant lady, whatever it is, you know. Yeah, I just, I, I realize that this is something that makes me really happy. As we succeed in life and as we get to sort of a different, um, I don't know, whether it's financial or career goals or whatever it is, the only way for me to feel good about it is if I'm somehow circling it back or sharing it or being helpful to other people. Otherwise, I wouldn't feel good. <laughs> I wouldn't feel good. So, yeah. What is your writing process like in the morning? What do you do, you, like spend a certain amount of time? Do you... I mean, it depends how much time I have, but I would write, I don't know, like uh, three pages or so, and it would just be free writing. It could be anything. It could be I need to do this, or it could be this happened and I need to process it, or it could be about the project that I'm working on. I've been dreaming a lot, so I write on my dreams and then I try to analyze them. <laughs> what does this color mean? So yeah, that kind of stuff. And I find that when you do that in the morning, at least when I do it, you sort of clear out. So you're clean for your entire day and you've processed everything. So you're, you're not, you know, bogged down with different things and cluttered. So that helps. Do you ever lack motivation? Do you ever like I want to avoid editing? Like I just can't bear to open that project file. And what do you do? All the time. What do I do? I like setting deadlines for myself. So if I have deadlines, it means that even if I don't feel like doing it right now, it means that there may be tomorrow. I need to pull double the hours to get it done. But I feel like if that happens, especially with my own work, then I take a step back. I I don't know. Stop computers and things and whatever and read or see something that inspires me and immediately it, it, it never fails it never fails to you know spark something accumulating ideas for my own things never stops whether you're you're reading a book or whether you're watching films or whatever it is you're always kind of collecting this is a personal question because i always feel like I'm looking around me and like people's output is so much more than mine like mm -hmm. and I'm like crap like I'm falling behind I'm gonna fall off the grid no I can't believe fun. you feel I know that. You're, I, you're like you, you, you're one of those people who make me anxious no. <laughs> yeah both of you make me I'm like no. I'm <laughs> no I feel really behind no always but do you ever feel like pressure to make things I had a thought about that too recently and I realized that because I had this pressure like, oh, you need to put things out or, you know, keep current or whatever it is. And then I said, you know what? No, you don't. 
you just need to put in the time that you need to put in and things sort of float your way or through you at the time when it's right. And I feel like sometimes when we force things, it's counteractive as well. And I stopped giving, I stopped putting that pressure on myself. I stopped putting that pressure on myself in many different aspects. And it makes your life much more enjoyable. And the creativity process is much more enjoyable too. Thank you to the wise and wonderful Eva Rad for joining us. We're so lucky to call her a friend and so excited for her upcoming work. Visit our website, shedoespodcast.com, to watch all the films we teased today and read what is inspiring Eva right now. This show is a product of Slate's Panoply Network, and this episode was produced by us, Elaine Sheldon, and Sarah Ginsberg, and sound design is by Billy Raznick. The music you heard in this episode is by Apache Tomcat. If you're looking for something to do in your spare time that'll help us out, write us a review on iTunes. It helps other people find us. Thank you for listening to She Does.